Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about alignment. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to ba- we like to talk about games. Uh, alignment, for those of you who don't know, is a, uh, is a, is a tabletop concept. Um, it's something that I guess was created as part of Dungeons and Dragons, but is also kind of filtered out into the like the greater RPG uh, world. We specifically want to address um, aspects of alignment insofar as they hit games like Dungeons and Dragons and Pathfinder. Uh, and uh, as a primer, this episode is going to be the first of a two-parter. Uh, this will be dealing with kind of the alignments philosophically, kind of conceptually, right? Like from a macro perspective uh, and our... Um, our next tabletop episode is going to be on the alignments as a mechanics-driven system um, as it appears in, like, 3.5 uh, or Pathfinder, right? Um, so, uh, so yeah. Uh, do you do, – what, what is your – do you like alignments, like, from, a, from like, a character-building kind of um, I think side that, of things? I think they have their use, um, but – and they kind of, like, like, I think they have their use in kind of, like, the, the general kind of, like, description sense, right? Like, if you were asked to give, like, a short description of your character, I think it's helpful there. But I think that the ideas are too nuanced to be accurately captured by um, by the grid um, in, in kind of a lot of ways. Uh, especially kind of given, because it, it says a lot of stuff about the world, Um which I find to be interesting, but, like, I don't know if we want to jump into this right now, but, but like... Well, let, let, let's, say, let's set a baseline really quickly. Okay, okay. so um, a lot, So for those of you that aren't aware, right, alignments are typically represented along a grid, right? There are two right. axes. One of them uh, is uh, good versus evil, and then the other one is law versus chaos, right? And depending on where on that grid you fall, you will have one... Um, kind of, should we call it a, I don't know what the, like a moral side, which is whether or not you're good, neutral, or evil, and then your, uh, I, I have no idea what we would call the law versus chaos side, uh, but where you are lawful, neutral, or chaotic, right? Yeah. This gives us nine different alignments, um, in that, in that, like, grid pattern. Yeah, um... What do you think of them, baseline, buddy? So I love alignments. Uh, I definitely agree with you that I think a certain amount of nuance is lost, but I think that the the value of alignments is in their ability to be quick and dirty, right? If I say someone is chaotic good, you immediately fill that in your head, right? Or someone is lawful evil or someone is, you know, lawful good, right? Like, it's a quick and easy way to explain um, about a character's outlook, uh, and, um, and, and values, I feel like, to be able to assign them an alignment, and I find that to be tremendously useful. Yeah, I, I, I think you run into some problems with, first of all, um, kind of, like, the, the books, like, we, the, the, the books through the ages, um, give definitions for all of the, uh, for all of the alignments, but I think there's kind of, like, some just, like, disagreement there and kind of thought about, if, if those are exactly accurate. And, and the thing I, I was reaching for a little bit earlier is it also says some stuff about the world. Like, in in the real world, for instance, there are very... There's very few 
truly evil things. Um, like it, it's mostly a, a system of kind, or it's mostly kind of like people of opposing ideologies um, that you can't really assign a, a, a stark moral value to. Um, but it kind of, it, but it, but it says some things about the world that there are people who are like you know definitionally evil. I, I, it's it's a heroism thing, but it's 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 also a little weird. In fact, I think I think Unchained has a as a variant morality system where it's more based on opposing ideals than it is on on these kind of like arbitrary. Yeah, there's actually a line uh, for for this. I opened up um, uh, for this. I opened up the three point five players handbook because that's where i was introduced to the alignment concept and as this line in here um that talks about being neutral on the good and evil axis um and it says that uh th like someone who is neutral while acknowledging while acknowledging that good and evil are objective states not just opinions these 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 folk maintain that a balance between the two is a proper place for people right um, and this idea that good and evil are objective states is fascinating to me, like, yeah. like philosophically speaking. Uh, but I also think that a certain amount of, like, the discussions and the arguments to be had about what alignments mean are also very good. Like, it's it, it, to a certain extent, it's kind of almost like, um, it's like a teacher asking an intentionally vague question in order to goad her students into... Um, uh, into kind of thinking about something critically and discussing it, right? I think that the ultimate, like, good that comes from alignments from this kind of, uh, like, philosophical angle is that even if you and I disagree on what, you know, the precise nature of a, a lawful neutral character is, um, the, the discussion that comes out of it and the way that we talk about it actually puts these things into words in a way that otherwise we would not. Right, that it, sure. it becomes like a discussion point that allows me to think about my character in in different ways and communicate about my character to the world, right? And as a DM, communicate you know NPCs or whatever to the players, right? Um, and I think all of that is really really good, which is why I like alignments a lot from from like this kind of uh, from this kind of perspective. I also just kind of have like a, the, in, the enough of an interest in kind of like ethics and philosophy to find. Um, the way that Pathfinder and 3.5 frame things to be interesting in like just in and of itself, like like the idea that there is in 3.5 objective states of good and evil, right? Like I just think that that's an interesting kind of. It's not. It's it is not very nuanced, and I I don't think that you know I don't know like a philosophy PhD person or whatever would find that as interesting as I do, uh, but I just think that it, that is a cool thing to think about i guess yeah uh my, my biggest problem with it is is it doesn't kind of like leave a lot of explanation for like say why two good people might be in conflict if, if that feels like it's like outside of the realm of the system um but i agree with you ultimately I, I think that especially for like most stories that you're telling it it works fine like i don't think anybody's playing out um complex Metaethical, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> I also but, think, to a certain extent, that like each of the different alignments is kind is like you can also kind of decouple it from that idea, that objective states idea, and kind of say that each of these different alignments are, um, you know, rooted ideologically, right? Like, and a cha yeah. like, chaotic evil is an ideology, uh, essentially, rather than things being um, more. Yeah, like, there, there's a certain aspect of this that's, like, 
because in 3.5 we have the mechanics on top of it it if if you decouple them i think the system can be kind of more flexible and yeah. adaptable uh, but the mechanics muddy the waters uh, and also some of the lore right like you know how do you deal with the fact that there is heaven or whatever it's called uh for uh you know lawful good and hell for lawful evil beings right like those those concepts kind of like call some of these things into question yeah i mean i think it's actually a really interesting point because it kind of calls it like it can kind of if you think about it too hard you kind of stretch disbelief because like it's a world where gods are known and known to be like real and and you know they affect the world around you yeah um and you know maybe some of that knowledge isn't open knowledge to everybody right like we've we've butt up against this in hell's rebels where like um the people don't necessarily know that Asmodeus is is the king of lies. You just kind of yeah. view him as the king of contracts. But like, it's kind of like anybody who knows the truth knows they're going to be like damned to hell forever if they worship him. And like, obviously, um, Bars lie through in, in in this case is trying to get around it. But most villains don't, right? Like, yeah. this is like a central point of this campaign. But I think most like. It feels weird to be an evil being, um, especially kind of, like, a more rational one. Like, I, I think Chaos gets away with it a little bit better because there's kind of, like, this... Um, there's kind of, like, a little bit more of a cosmic sense with Chaos um, mm. that gets away with it. But but I also think that that's... Um, this kind of segues into a, another point that I think... Um, I think it's kind of a, a weakness of the systems as written, um, or of, of the... Not of the mechanical systems, but kind of, like... As, as they write out what they're supposed to represent, is I think there's, like, this really hard tendency to make law, like, slightly different good and chaos, like, slightly different evil. Yeah. Um, which is kind of why I almost respect 4th Edition for getting rid of chaotic good and lawful evil. Um, like, just trying to be like, yeah, well, these, these things are kind of, like, weird anyway. Um, so we might as well get rid of them rather than trying to write them poorly. And I do think that the concepts of chaotic and lawful evil are interesting. I think it's kind of hard to parse from both a human standpoint and, like, from, like, a writing standpoint. Um, the actual kind of, like, whereas they want you to believe that, like, law and chaos and, and good and evil are, like, at 90 degrees to each other. I feel like they're more, like, f f 30 to 45 degrees from each other with law being closer to good and chaos being closer to evil in terms of how they get written and talked about. Interesting. I, I think I might under, I, I I think I kind of agree with you in that like there is a, a tendency towards um, like lawful good and vice versa chaotic evil, um, but I think that there's enough like you know people people explain chaotic good by saying Robin Hood or lawful evil by saying Emperor Palpatine or whatever right, um, uh, but I think that's more of an artifice of kind of like culture than it is anything else. Yeah. Like, I feel like that we are, to a certain extent, we are like adopting other aspects of our, of our culture and we understand like, <clears throat> we're kind of filtering this stuff through all of the stories or whatever that we know and we think of. Um, and that stuff is what tends to bind lawful good tighter than chaotic and good. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I, but I, I will say that I, f I feel like most people are attra I, I f there is less of an attraction in in like 
empirically in players um i can't actually prove this i haven't done like statistics on it right but this is just my impression that like there is there is a much greater attraction to chaotic good um and also a, a greater response to lawful evil as like a villain type or even neutral evil um then i feel like lawful good and chaotic evil i think to a certain extent there's almost a backlash to that to that tendency um that's kind of like you know lawful good is too cliche Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, evil is too cliche. I, I was gonna say, I feel like part of that is kind of like is what I'm gonna call false nuance, right? Like, I feel like lawful good versus chaotic evil is a very simple story, right? It's the do-gooders fighting the bad, the bad dudes, and there's not there, that story. Um, well, it can typically doesn't have a lot of nuance, right? It's, it's like the kick the dog villain, and and the righteous crusaders, and there's not a lot to explore there necessarily, which is fine for like a dungeon crawl. Um, or like as like a backdrop to a, to a larger story, mm. but for something that wants to tell a deeper story, I think it doesn't have to be lawful evil versus chaotic good, but it's like the easiest subversion to go to. Yeah. Um, um, and so I, I think that that's their more kind of less is like, um, as like, and it less is like a, a real organic thing and more is kind of like a a, a, a known subversion if, if that makes sense like as you put it a backlash um uh, and I think I think again part of this too is that like these things existing globally are weird to think about um like let's examine Robin Hood as the example of chaotic good right like yeah Robin Hood is like I, I think it's very easy to say like is is chaotic good in the term in the terms of his story, but you would also imagine that if Robin Hood didn't have to contend with Prince John and you know Richard the Lionhearted or whatever was there the whole time was a just king, Robin Hood wouldn't be doing his thing. He would be or, lawful good. You mean? Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that's something, and that's something that I think is the biggest weakness conceptually about alignments is like this idea that alignments are um, not relative, that they are so absolute. Because yeah. I agree with you to a certain extent. I think it is Prince John's villainy, right, that drives Robin Hood to chaotic good, if that makes sense. And almost yeah. there's kind of like um. And like, uh, and and that there is kind of almost like a like a balancing effect. To a certain extent, I think that this is the this is the kind of, um, I guess I would say the uh, the the opportunity that neutral alignments allow you. And like we're talking a lot about the extremes, right? But like, there's a, I I think that there is something to be said for Robin Hood is fundamentally good, but kind of situationally chaotic, and therefore when the situation changes, he goes from chaotic to lawful, right? As soon as you know, he, as soon as soon as the laws that are in place are something that he are, that he's on board with, um, but I but I don't think that there's a version of Robin Hood where like he becomes evil necessarily. Do yeah, you see what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, I just think that 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 dichotomy doesn't fall like. <coughs> excuse me. Well, I I definitely think you could say that for like, you know, a lot of good and evil characters, right? That they can shift their 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 lawful their their, their um their law axis alignment based on kind of the the situation that they're in. I feel like it's not like you have the equivalent, like 
lawful chaotic characters that shift into good or evil depending on their situation as much. Oh wait, really? No, I 100% think that that's the case. I think this is that's the this is the archetypical, you know, fallen hero redeemed villain. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's like good to evil, evil to good kind of. Well, well but but, that, but that's a conscious path, right? Like that's not like someone who changes based on his on his situation, right? Like it, it that's a person going through through like a, a conscious transformation. Right? Like Robin Hood is always good, but he acts chaotic when there's, uh, an, you know, an, an oppressive... Oh, I see what you're saying. One of them is external, the other is internal. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's probably a good way to put it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that... Uh, I, I, But I also think that, to a certain extent, like, redeemed villains or fallen heroes redeem or fall based on their situation as well, right? Like, the like the kind of archetype for this is, is the, like, um, uh, the, like, alignment of two... Of a villain and a hero against a bigger bad, right? Like Vegeta is yeah. kind of the example of this. Vegeta joins the good guys because he hates Frieza for destroying his planet, right? I don't know if you know Dragon Ball lore, but that's like that's a how Vegeta. Bit. That's how Vegeta joins the good guys, um, essentially. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that I think that a lot of this stuff really does kind of bleed the lines, and almost this, this like this, this is the meaty shit that we're talking about that I really yeah. appreciate. I also like the idea of thinking about alignments in relative terms to other alignments. Um, like, I don't know if you have. Do you have a favorite alignment? Um, I like chaotic neutral and chaotic good. Oh, you would like those. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I also think that I think well, well we'll talk about this in a bit, but I want to put a pin in in the kind of prevalence of wait, wait, what, neutral. What's 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 your what's your favorite what's your favorite alignment? Before? My favorite alignment is lawful neutral. Okay, I think lawful yeah. neutral is the most interesting. You would I like... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's less about me politically or you know like my yeah. own personal philosophy, and more that I like the idea of. Um, uh, like, uh, I, uh, to me, lawful neutral is the ultimate kind of like utilitarian or like moral relativist. Like he is absolutely willing to work with a lawful evil, whatever for the quote unquote greater good insofar as he sees Ooh, it. See, okay. You that's, know what that's, I mean? that's an interesting view on lawful neutral, right? Like, oh man, uh, see, this is, <laughs> this is where I think kind of like this, this is weird kind of like wandering happens, right? Like, um, how, how do you feel? How would you feel that a paladin would behave in Chalayax? Oh shit! Right, <laughs> like, and, and yeah. So I mean, I think, paladins, right? I think paladins have a weakness, though, which is that. See, this is why I, in my games, I made that specific um, archetype so that paladins could be any to 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 decouple paladins necessarily from lawful good but i think yeah i mean i guess i guess a paladin in chalayax would be i mean he has to be lawful good but he would have to like hate chalayax right yeah yeah well I'm, this, like he doesn't have to be a paladin i think this falls true for any lawful good character which I, is you like you know actually i do have a good i do have a good i actually think that they exist more so than you might think i think hedeman hayes from our D D game i don't know if you remember this character but he is lawful good and he plays in um uh, and he plays in Hell's Rebels lawful good in the sense that, like, he's a good person and he wants to do good things, right? But he also feels a compulsion to obey the law in doing so, right? So he was paying his, you know, like, he was paying the exorbitant tax on his church or whatever. Um, or someone like Tonric, actually, would, also from Hell's Rebels, would be a very good example of this, right? Um, though... 
maybe not quite so much, but like someone who thinks he is doing the right thing, who is trying to do the right thing and like help people, right? But also is lawful to an evil society. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. He's, like I don't think that there's a necessity for a lawful good player to rebel or revolt. Um, he can kind of be like a conscientious objector that works within the law insofar as... Um, Sure, but but I also think that the flip side of that coin, right? Like the, like let's say like the super goody two shoes paladin who who rebels against the Chalaxian society because he serves a kind of higher power that he views as a more valid law. I think that's also a valid interpretation of lawful good. It just yeah. kind of calls into question like how do you characterize lawful in a way that's um, super meaningful? Um, and I, I I think I think that like that's the kind of thing that you have to talk about. Um, when when you're when, when you're exploring these things, which is kind of fun yeah. doing this, I guess, right? Like, um, uh, that like, like um, to to bring it back to to my favorite line, chaotic neutral to me at least means two very different things. One of which is just kind of like pure insanity, right? Like, I think like that's definitely the alignment of insanity is 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 chaotic neutral. Yeah. Um, but there's also kind of like the the like the the lawless kind of rogue that just kind of does what he does isn't particularly like he's yeah, not like definitely. an assassin but like those you know he's that's why that's why i think there's such a prevalent i think chaotic neutral is the most common archetype that people play the most common alignment i guess that people play and i think that it's specifically common because it is the it is the one that where your alignment never holds you back you know what i mean um Whereas, because uh, even like, even if someone's playing chaotic evil, because evil doesn't necessarily mean selfish, and there is a certain yeah. expectation with evil that you will be doing evil things. Whereas I feel like chaotic neutral is the ultimate thing to say, fuck you, I do what you want, right? I'm not going to listen to authorities on a law, on the law chaos basis, because I'm chaos, right? And I want to be flexible, and I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to obey... Um, I'm not going to obey authority, right? And I'm also going to be flexible on the good evil basis because I'm going to choose to be good. I'm going to choose to be to be evil situationally, right? As you know, as I make that distinction. So this is where mur like murder hobos, uh, insofar as they get played, I feel like get played as chaotic neutral. So um, so here's kind of a, a question for you because I I do agree with you generally that like good to evil, like evil requires more than just like self interest. It requires like a it requires like a willingness to go to like to go to evil yeah, above and beyond. They, they, they defend it. Hold on, I wanna I wanna uh, see what they define. So, evil implies hurting, oppressing, and killing others. Some evil creatures simply have no compassion for others and kill without qualms if doing so is convenient. Others actively pursue evil, killing for sport or out of duty to some evil deity or master. Uh. Yeah. And I think that that, yeah. you know, like, and I think that that necessitates, you know what I mean? Like, if you are evil, then you you have to do those things. And I feel as though, like, like you know, you have to be oppressive, I guess. Um, and uh, uh, I feel like chaotic neutral is for people who say, well, I don't even want to, I don't even want to so, obey that. So, so, so that's, that's the kind of question I have then. Does, like, chaotic imply a dedication to chaos? Right, like, a person, like, a person that, like, chooses to follow the law when it's convenient, right, are they really chaotic or are they more neutral, right? You, you have to be, like, dedicated to the idea of sowing uh, chaos to be more chaotic. Because I think the popular thought is that, no, that that's not the case for chaos, but, like, 
if we think about Long Chaos in the same way that we think about good and evil, I would argue that you kind of do, right? Like, and, and this is this is this is something that's like pushing me away from my my actual, you know, like I kind of choose chaotic neutral in that former framework that I was talking about. That like it's just kind of like free choice. But I think I, I think that you really have to explore chaos as as a dedication. Um, if you're really going to, if you're quote unquote really going to be chaotic, um, um, because this gets also runs up against, um, the thing that I find interesting about like true neutral, because there's like the version of true neutral that's you know dedicated to balance, and the version that's kind of like apathetic. Um, yeah, definitely. I also think that there's a, a version of true. I actually think there is a third archetype to true neutral, which is, um, uh entirely relativistic kind of and very and, and absolutely situational right where like no decision can be made outside of the context of it if that makes sense yeah yeah i get that um yeah um but yeah what, what do you think about about like being dedicated to chaos that that aspect that's interesting um i see because hmm that's interesting because I do agree with you, but it kind of adds, it kind of like a, creates this like tautology almost. It's yeah. like, if you're dedicated to chaos, then you are kind of by these definitions lawful to the idea of chaos, which is not chaos. Yeah. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that this is kind of where like the lack of sophistication like kind of like <laughs> falls apart in on itself and everything. Um, but I do think that there that there is um, that there is definitely kind of space for multiple interpretations of each of the like like yeah. I think that there the, the lawful neutral that they explain in the book right they say you know lawful neutral is the judge um, they act as they act as law tradition or personal codes direct order and organization are paramount or whatever and there's definitely like part of that to the kind of my philosophy on lawful neutral but i'm a lot more interested in lawful neutral insofar as it is like i stick by my word but i am willing to you know what i mean like i'm willing to bend along that good good evil axis in order to accomplish my you know like in order to accomplish my goals right um that, that like that's the part that i find compelling i don't really think that the way that they explain it in the book really matches that in the same way that i don't you know like that i think the 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 ultimate balance you know true neutral versus the apathetic true neutral are kind of like there there are two interpretations that i can that i think can kind of stand side by side yeah yeah no i feel that i also think an important thing to note is that like these aren't nine points on a or these aren't like nine discrete points that you have to oh, like yeah. zip to yeah. they are gradients right like definitely um, and you know, it, it's not, I think so important to argue about like, which is more chaotic, someone who's apathetic or someone who is like lawfully chaotic as you put it. Uh, um, but I, I think that like there, there's space in all these things for, for that. And you, man, you, you've got really, really caught up on this kind of like, well, if you're dedicated to chaos and technically aren't you lawfully chaotic? Like this. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? It's kind of true in that yeah. sense, which is why no. I think that like you, chaos is kind of not dedicated to, uh, is kind of like not dedicated but, to anything. <laughs> but I think the flip side of that coin is like you know, like like I said, like the the paladin in Chiliax, right? Like yeah. the guy, like the 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 guy that like is 
disobeys the laws of the land because they're not the right laws. It's like lawfully chaotic. I don't think well, it's yeah, as and strong I think that as... that's also I think that that's also a piece of this, right? Like there's a certain part of me that thinks that you can be that like this is something that I that I was thinking about in terms of lore, right? Is there are different nations in Galarian that have different alignments, right? Rahadum is lawful neutral, right? Chilayx is lawful evil, right? Galt is chaotic neutral, right? How can uh, how can a how can a nation have an alignment that is not lawful, right? Hypothetically, isn't that nation yeah. lawful to itself, right? Like that doesn't make any sense, kind of thing. But I think that that's actually kind of a misreading of the idea because, like, Chilayax is a very authoritarian state, and therefore it makes a lot of sense that it is like it is lawful because lawful is less about the given body of laws at any given time and more about the kind of like deference and obedience to authority right and like law and order that your character gives if that makes sense and so you can have a situation where you have galt which is a whole society built on kind of like uh like like chaotic ideals or, or varicia is even kind of chaotic i think in that yeah no aspect. i'm just i'm just thinking like if if the loss of the land says you have like freedom of speech is a chaotic person then like a censor yeah. <laughs> like that's 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 just a I, I don't think so right like i i think i think that like you're, you're right that like there there's kind of like a almost like an, an underlying an underlying philosophy that kind of has to that you can attach to in a way that i think is less like that kind of resolves this this you know lawfully chaotic problem um yeah, and, and I think that there is, um, like, this kind of goes back a little bit to the Robin Hood example, right? Where I guess I would say that the difference between Prince John and uh, Richard the Lionheart is, like, Richard the Lionheart takes the uh, lawful evil society and turns it into a lawful good one, kind of, in the context of the story or whatever. Right. Um, and, uh, and, and so I do think that there is space a little bit for alignments to be relative like that like i like the idea that robin hood changes from chaotic good to lawful good when the the kind of status of the laws change right but i also think you can make the argument that even with richard the lionheart in power and robin hood agreeing with richard's you know what i mean that, that he is still fundamentally chaotic right and, you know uh, what i mean heart, like it's, yeah at heart and that he is still a chaotic good person he is just not in conflict with the he's not in conflict with the state anymore do you do you know what i mean yeah yeah no i feel that um uh, this is kind of like the this is kind of like the when people talk about alignments with superheroes it gets very confusing very quickly right batman yeah. is a person that works outside of the law but also ostensibly to the law's benefit do you know what I mean? And so, like, does yeah. that make him chaotic good? Does that, you know, like, where does that put him on the thing? Um, yeah, I, there's, there's, in fact, like, um, alignment charts, which, you know, like, the, the, there's there's memes where, like, they have, like, a like a character in each, like, alignment chart for different themes. Yeah. Um, there's one that's just Batman in all nine places. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, I, I love that one because <laughs> it's, like, I think the chaotic evil one is, like, a guy eating an ice oh, cream cone. <laughs> Wait, like, the chaotic evil one is there? I think so. What's the one? Because I know the alignment chart evil. you're talking about, and there's that one famous quote, like the goddamn Batman quote from yeah. Frank Miller's All-Star Batman run. 
holy shit is that awful is that just absolutely awful but yeah no I, I i am definitely on board and i think that so to a certain extent i think that you can have an interpretation of alignments that's like rooted in the specifics of like the land itself right where you can kind of have like like maybe there is something to be said for a, like a lawful good paladin playing a game where he is in chiliax right and that kind of challenges his convictions to the law right because he you know what i mean um, but I also think that there's a version of things where you can kind of say that um, uh, the nations themselves are not the arbiter. Like, the presence of a nation state is not the arbiter of law or chaos. Um, and whether or not you are specifically breaking a nation's laws does not mean that you are chaotic. And following those laws does not mean that you are... Um, do you know what I mean? Does not mean yeah. that you are... Lawful. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, part part of the book I think wants you to have that. Like, part of the description of chaos is, you know, potential downsides include um, resentment towards like righteous authority or something. Mm -hmm. Um, but I I think ultimately you're right, and that's like a, a better working definition. Um, by the way, I found I found the chart, and under chaotic evil, the first it's two panels. The first panel is a guy eating a chocolate ice cream cone. It says mmm chocolate. And the second panel is just uh. Batman's foot, like, where his head was. <laughs> um, I will link this in the description for uh, for everybody to see. Oh, I, I'm looking at it now. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. It's funny that, uh, wow, man, Jesus Christ. What? Yeah, this is also There's a two Batmans from the same run in here, because Chaotic Good is... Um, uh, chaotic. Well, I guess this is just art. That that art in the top right is Jim Lee from All Star Batman, and then in the bottom left in Lawful Evil is also Jim Lee. Um, but I, it is not the, the these other ones don't seem to have the same kind of. Um, yeah, there's also a bunch of these, right? Like, um, that I've seen at least. Because um, there there is one with the goddamn Batman that's not that I that I don't see. Yeah. Um, I don't think this. The one I'm looking at has Adam West in the upper left hand corner. Yeah, I'm looking at the same one that you are. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. It. How do you think about alignment charts in general? In as a as a uh, like as a meme that have gone past the the bounds of D and D. Um, I think it's fun, right? Like memes. Memes are fun, right? Like I, I, I don't. Okay. Like. I don't think it's it's too much of like. What, what, do you have any stronger opinions on I, it? I no, not really. But I, it's just something that uh, that I that I find uh, interesting. I guess like part of part of it, I think, speaks to the robust nature of the alignments as a um, as this kind of shorthand, right? That people want to then apply it to other aspects of. Do you know what I mean? To other aspects of the world. Um, and they want to apply it to other stories and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know. I think that that's, I think that that's cool. And I think that that's interesting. Have you seen the alignment of alignments? <laughs> no, no. What's that? Here, I, I, I will link it to you. I also make sure to put it in the description for everybody to see. Um, but lawful good is true neutral. Neutral good is lawful. <laughs> 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 Chaotic funny. neutral is neutral evil. Um, I, I, I think, I think this is funny cause it's like kind of accurate in a lot of ways. 
Um, I definitely think that that's true. And I think that, you know, we haven't really talked about it a little bit, but there's two pieces in here that I find really interesting. Uh, the first one is chaotic neutral being neutral evil. Well, yeah. And chaotic good being neutral good. I think that of, of the alignments, these are the ones that probably fall by the wayside the most. Yeah. Um, I think that people have a good sense for law versus chaos and like to incorporate law versus chaos into their alignments. Um, but I think that there is a good amount of... Um, I don't know, like, chaotic good and lawful good are way more common to me than, like, just neutral good. Yeah. Uh, whereas chaotic evil and lawful evil, I think, are way more common than neutral evil. And, I, and and it's hard because, like, with lawful good, you can, like, lawful good, you have these easy examples to go to, right, from, you know, story, right, like, cha like chaotic good has Robin Hood, right, lawful yeah. evil has Emperor Palpatine, chaotic evil has, like, fucking, who cares, right, like, the Joker or whatever, um, but like, who's what's a what's a good example of a lawful neutral villain or like a neutral good hero, right? That that stuff gets harder to parse. I find. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel that. Um, I guess lawful neutral might be like Judge Dread. Lawful neutral would be a good Judge Dread, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing is like those places. I think those places are also e like more fun to kind of play in the um, kind of like the aspects of like you know like am I really doing the right thing type of stuff? Um, but yeah, it's, what was it? Um, I curious, this is your opinion on this is, uh, um, friend of the cast, Nick has said that law, that evil parties don't work because by definition, they should always like be looking to backstab one another. And I don't think that that's quite accurate. How, how do you feel about that? I definitely don't think that that's accurate. Um, because I think that like the, Part of this is that I'm a comic book guy, and, and part of, like, how I look at good and evil is through that lens, I think. But, like, I think that there is something to be said for, like, like villains teaming up in the Injustice right. League, right? Or, you know, whatever. Like, I think that basically anybody can be grouped with anybody else given the right motivation in that, in that case, right? And so, like, all you have to do is find a common goal for a bunch of evil players um, to get on board and... Um, yeah, no, it, like, and and I also think that there's something to be said for like, um, you know, that that's uh, that that's part of the cliche trap that people fall into. I think uh, when it comes to evil parties, right? Like, I w I'm not sure I would say Nick is wrong in practice because I think to a certain extent there's a common perception for evil that they all break down and betray one another and nobody creates, you know what I mean? There's also a certain set of things that say like a lawful good party will all become friends with one another, but a lawful evil party won't, if that makes sense. Um, but I think that there's no reasons for that not to be the case, right? Like I think you can be chaotic evil and still have friends. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and also I, I think there's also, I think there's a tendency to kind of want like, because good is generally so selfless, they kind of naturally want to apply self-interested to evil. Um, but, like, I think we talked about a little bit earlier. I, I think, at least, that evil needs to be kind of, like, selflessly evil at some level. Um, I think I think self-interest brings you more towards the median. Um, but, um, kind of question in the same vein. Do you think two evil people could be good parents? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Because I think, well, I mean, it depends on, like, part of this is defining what makes a good parent. But I think that you can have, like, a loving and supportive evil person. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. Um, specifically, I think that that comes down to kind of, like, like, I think that maybe I would agree that, like, 
evil tends towards uh, bad parents. Right. And good tends towards good parents. Because there is, you know, like, even though I don't like defining uh, good and evil by selfish, selfless, selfish, right? Um, uh, excuse me. I think that there is uh, a certain amount of validity to that kind of connotation. Right. Um, but, like, you know, I, I think, for instance, that there are evil, that, like, evil characters can sometimes be evil because of, like, prejudice and discrimination, Right. Um, so for instance, like someone who, like, let's say that Bars Lythroon would took a more kind of like superior, um, view of things. And like, he was really focused on like the subjugation of halflings or something like that. Right. Well, his evilness comes in that relationship to halflings, hypothetically speaking. And so like, he can be a good parent to his human son. You know what I mean? Um, good as in proficient parent to his, to his human son because his human son is not the the kind of target of his evil yeah i mean i think there's also like questions there to like what what point do you flip from one alignment to another right like if someone you know if, if if someone just like is is their whole life all they do is like they grow up they run a farm they raise some kids and they grow old and die but the whole time they're like cackling to themselves and thinking about how much like they hate, like, I don't know, like, they, they hate half, let's use your example, they just hate halflings and they think that they're the worst. Are they evil? Because they haven't really acted on it, like, they haven't done anything, and maybe they would act on it and give it the opportunity, but, you know, it's never happened to see a halfling. Like, yeah, I mean, I think that those, the, I mean, they're neutral or or good at the least. Like, I think that there is a little bit of space for, um, uh, a little bit of space for that kind of thing, but I also think that, like, the game doesn't see hypotheticals. yeah. You know what I mean? That's as fair. like as morality. That that is fair. That that, that is that is absolutely fair. Um, I I think I think what this kind of like wraps into is, is is a concept that like while alignment is like a descriptor of your character, I don't think it's actually an inherent quality of the character. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. And this is, by the way, where I think the problem with mechanics arises, because mechanics treat it as it is a like a like a fundamental quality of your character. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Um, but we're not we're not touching that until yeah. Well, that, that's that's just a little teaser. That's our that's our post credit scene for for yeah. <laughs> part two. Um, and I think that you know, like I'm actually really interested by the idea of having an evil party or having a party of players that are mixed. Um, because I think uh, that those kinds of conflicts are good and they're and they're interesting and they make the game yeah. like better. But I also think that part of this is that like alignment is something that specifically really appeals to theater kids, I think, um, and appeals less to Captain Crunches. And the way that yeah. I would say that would be that like a lot of Captain Crunches being murder hobos tends toward that kind of chaotic neutral area right or even chaotic evil insofar as like this has happened in the past in our games where we don't determine our own alignments but the gm interprets our actions for us to determine what our alignments fundamentally are um and the gm has said no your character you think you're lawful neutral but your character is lawful evil do you know what i mean um yeah 
and uh, and and that's kind of where I think that like like I I have had situations in D and D before where alignment becomes like. A, a pretty explicit part of the progression through the game because like the murder hobo ness gets called into question. Right. right yeah, yeah. Um, and, uh, but that's not, that's not something I've really experienced with groups with, where, with Captain Crunches. Um, but it, I have experienced it a lot with groups that are theater kids. Like maybe like in Iron Gods, we had, we had like Mark's, uh, who was the person that Mark wanted to like convert? I can't remember her name. Oh, uh, Cassandaly? Cassandalee. No, no, no. Right? Cassandalee like, was the god. It no, was... Wait, uh, uh, I want to say Carlia, but that's not right. Yeah, it's, uh, maybe it was... Cass- I, don't, I don't remember. Well, you mean the one we killed? Yeah, right. Like, th- in that moment, we kind of had a, a discussion a bit of a, about alignment. Um, because, I mean, I, like, we killed, we killed her, I killed her, because yeah. she killed you... And we were brothers in the game, right? So I felt yeah. like it made context, and my and my character had pretty strong motivation to do that. Um, but it really bent Mark out of shape because he wanted to kind of like redeem her. And so like the so the the, the subsequent debate we had a little bit about like can she be redeemed? Should we have killed her in this instance? Right? Like I don't know. Maybe that was like maybe Cole Bjorn was acting out of revenge, right? He was immediately acting out of revenge, and therefore was acting. Like it, it was like an evil act, maybe or something. Yeah. Um. And what Mark was suggesting was the good path, right? Do you know what I mean? I think those things get hashed out a lot, uh, yeah, or a lot more commonly. In um, it's funny that you bring up theory. Iron Gods, which is like the most Captain Crunch of Captain Crunch games. Well, that's the point. Is I'm trying. I'm trying to. I mean, uh, is that that is probably the only instance that we ever had in Iron Gods where something it's something i couldn't i don't know that i could think of another example from like a theater kid focused game because there are so many examples from theater kid focused games do you know what i mean like i I mean just frankly speaking right like this is something that happens all the fucking time in hell's rebels right we all know that alaric is pretty lawful evil because he is so willing to fuck people over in order to do you know what i mean in order to accomplish his uh, in order to accomplish his goals, yeah, um, it's interesting. I don't know if he'd say if if he if he'd agree with that assessment. I I don't know if he would agree with that uh, if he, with that assessment either. But um, I feel as though I don't know. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like his character is pretty is pretty lawful evil. He mostly in the uh, like I think insofar as evil is oppressive. Because he has these kinds of authoritarian aspects to himself. Most recently in, like, talking about, like, no, the common people shouldn't get a vote or whatever, right? Like, I think that's kind of where his evil, like, shows a bit. Huh. I I, I see what you're saying. And and I get that. Um, Yeah. No, I I get that. I also don't know if I'd... In a way, I almost think Alaric is overall lawful neutral, but he pretty invariably goes to the evil side given a choice, right? Yeah. That's the part about him that makes him lawful evil in my book, is that he would be lawful neutral if he agreed, or if he, like, took the good path more often, but because... I, I, and part of this, I think, is also kind of contextual. You guys default to the good path in most instances, so he is almost always the voice of dissent, which pushes him into lawful evil. Yeah, I, I also think it's one of those things for, like, the the evil option is the more convenient one, and if the good option was convenient, then we do the good option. Um, That's true. 
That is actually true. I I do feel a I do feel a uh, like as a GM, um, I feel a need to stack the deck on the evil side of things because otherwise the choice is so obvious to me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. um it, 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 but that's just kind of like a weird prop. Like uh, that's like a, a weird philosophical question in itself, right? Like, is, is part of being good needing to take the extra mile, like? Because, like, from, like, a self-interested perspective, right, like, you know, there are, I think, un- I think part of it, too, is there are, like, unspoken evil options that we don't consider because they're both, they're both, like, difficult to accomplish and evil, right? Yeah. Like, potentially one of the things that we could have done with this campaign is, like, burned all of Ravenel to the ground, I guess, right? But, like... That's a lot of effort, and it's also not great. Um, I, I think a lot. I think a lot of like the, the like quote unquote really evil options, kind of like lie in that. Um, wouldn't consider because they're just imp- they are both impractical and not worth doing because we're fundamentally good pointing characters if, if, if yeah. that terminology makes sense and I th- and I also think that uh, in a lot of ways once we get into this kind of nitty-gritty the alignment system doesn't really apply yeah yeah you know what I mean like what like because some of these questions are built there to kind of test the morals of the character and the and the parties right like you know this is what the sap catalyst Institute is all about right right are you willing to accept that they did some pretty heinous shit in order to accomplish this good you know Know, like th- this material good of uh curing the savophage right um that's a that's a question that, that uh, doesn't fall on the alignment chart for me and yeah. i'm not really interested in it along those kinds of lines um and i don't know that i think that you know because beauregard said one thing instead of another that influences his alignment um, yeah materially for me yeah that makes sense um where would you put beauregard Beauregard is a pretty good true neutral because uh, so much interesting of his, is so much of his stuff is const- is like context. He is that he is that kind of context driven true neutral that I was talking about in in a lot of ways. But I do think that he he you know in the same way that Charles is kind of effectively lawful evil, even though he kind of is also lawful neutral. Like he's not lawful evil in the sense that he always goes evil, right? Or his default outlook is evil. His default outlook, I would say, is neutral. But his default outlook. But, like, when given those choices, even though he's willing to entertain them in the way that I would expect a lawful neutral player to entertain them, character to entertain them, um, he goes with the evil option more often than not, and that's what pushes him towards evil, in my opinion. And I think Beauregard has um, uh, kind of the same thing, but towards good, right? Where he, he, he chooses the good option more often than not. So maybe I would say he's kind of, like, neutral good in that sense. You see, that's, that, that's, I, I, I get that, um, and I, like, true neutral, I, I think, I, I think I agree with you on, um, it's just kind of, like, his motivations are also not pure, which it, like, yeah, it, it's kind of, like, Beauregard sometimes chooses the true path, or the, the good path, not because he thinks it's the right thing to do, but because it's going to, like, cause problems for him later down the line, or something mm. like that, right, like, like, you know, if, Faced with, like, you know, like, well, you could just, like, let this pack of commoners die. It's like, well, then that's not, it's like, 20 more commoners I don't get to, like, yeah. lord over when I when I finally take control of the government or whatever, right? Like, 
Um, yeah, I also haven't pre presented you guys with too many things where, like, most of the time when a good decision is being made, the context also kind of favors it. Yeah, like the, yeah. the example here is, like, Maple Seed Brook. There was no choice associated with Maple Seed Brook in, like, whether or not you help out these villagers. Right. right? But it was also something that, like, it wasn't just, like, oh, we're going to help out these villagers out of the goodness of our heart. There's also this, like material MacGuffin there of there's all these Waywatcher supplies that they need in order to, uh, you know, in order to bolster their ranks or whatever, right? That's not really like a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. can make that decision that is good, right? Saving these villagers, saving this saving this village is a good thing, right? But also make it for not necessarily good reasons, which like these self-interested reason of yeah, yeah. we want the Waywatchers on our, on our side kind of thing. Yeah, abs abs absolutely. Um, Huh. Interesting. There was I, something uh, I was going to bring up, but oh, okay. So here's okay. So here's the last thing uh, that I wanted to talk about a little bit. How do you feel? Uh, this is something I was thinking about when it comes to alignment, specifically when it comes to like alignment insofar as kind of like cosmic mechanics are concerned. Um, there's a webcomic, like a popular D&D webcomic called Order of the Stick. It has like a thousand things yeah, yeah. Been going on for years and years and years. And I really like it, uh, though I am not technically caught up. Um, but one of the ways that the, – basically the way that they treat alignment that I find fucking fascinating is that the alignments are ideologies, but they are ideologies held by cosmic beings, not by mortals. Right, so the gods themselves are ideologically driven in the way that we were kind of talking about it, right? Um, but those things bleed down into morality, which is the reason that lawful good people go to heaven or whatever, and chaotic evil people go to hell, right? They're still driven by an ideology, but the person who made hell, right, in in the kind of order of the stick context, is, um, you know. Uh, is is the is the lawful evil ideologue right and it's not really an objective state it's just kind of a super state of of all powerful beings that kind of set the rules for everyone that kind of set the rules for everyone else and part of that is that those beings created races like goblins and stuff like that right that are definitionally evil for their followers to fight, right? And part of this is tongue-in-cheek and kind of like a, you know what I mean, and like a jokey joke context of... Yeah, um, it, it is a humor-based comic. Yeah, it's, it's a, it is a humor-based comic, but I think that there's actually something really interesting there, which is kind of like the, the goblins recommit to evil, right, and are doing kind of evil things because they are... Uh, because they are rebelling against the oppression of these cosmic beings that have forced them to be evil, right? And like, do you do you have any kind of thoughts about do you just like about that kind of structure for things? Um, I don't know. something I always like to bring up in these kinds of things is that like in in D and D, racism is valid and correct, um, which is like a, a weird kind of thing to think about, especially yeah. given kind of like a lot of a lot of ways that like. People want to like you know uh, you know D, the the D, D community wants to be fairly progressive, um, and it's weird to think that like this idea of like functional and 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 ultimately correct racism is baked into the setting so hard, right? Like you've got a whole society of um a, 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 of like uh, of of drow that are like just the embodiment of evil and they're just dicking around underground the entire I mean, time even, even th i mean like even things like race realism quote unquote are expressed in 
Pathfinder in literal mechanics terms. Yeah. Right? Elves are definitionally smarter than other than other races because they have a plus two intelligence though i will say that my perspective on this kind of thing is that not ever like things can be like racially coded or whatever but not everything is like racial allegory um, right and that we shouldn't take it as such oh i'm not i'm not saying did you watch uh, by the way did you watch the video that i linked Lindsay ellis on bright i, I have not quite yet. a lot I, I it's, it is a very i mean i don't know if you i don't know how much you liked bright i guess but she basically talks about how well the you big don't know how much we had a whole episode about bright how yeah i know we <laughs> talked a lot about bright but i felt like i didn't get like a great yeah. sense for what your opinion is of it and like and you know she's doing she's doing a video on the hobbit and uh, about how the hobbit movies are bad and i'm not gonna watch that because i love the hobbit movies right like you know um but anyway, the point is she talks about how kind of like the like one of the mistakes in Bright is she took something – is that they took something – even like the racial coding of uh, like orcs in fantasy settings and then created an allegory out of it. And it was that step that was bad. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. So uh, something, something that I, I, I kind of feel about is that you don't – like – you don't necessarily have to have these 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 codings or whatever to your fantasy races. I think it's sometimes okay to just let a gnome be a gnome. Yeah, without... no, that's exactly that's exactly my point. Yeah, um, this this, might... is, this is my argument about three hundred. People say three hundred is racist because like the Persians or whatever are like you know crazy. But the, my counter argument to that has always been that the 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 heightened fantasy nature of it is specifically what is decoupling this from reality, right? The people that they're fighting against in 300 are more fantastic races than, like, the 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 stuff that's happening in Lord of the Rings. Do you know what I mean? And to a certain extent, you can decouple, you can, you can decouple these kinds of things and say, this is not a reflection on our reality, kind of. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, this is actually interesting um i also think by the way that this is something that uh uh this is something that comes up just because we call them races and not species um because like nobody nobody you know i mean i don't know maybe PETA or whatever but like nobody is talking about how like dogs are subservient to humans but like really if you think about it kind of the relationship between you know like this racist relationship between sentient beings or whatever in D settings is more akin to that than it is to um you know like real life racism and pathfinder does this a little bit because there are different ethnicities of the humans right there's gurundi and there's you know like all these different ethnicities inside of the human species but they all have the exact same stat block yeah yeah um yeah yeah i I think i think that's kind of like yeah no i I think it's a good point species is probably a better word to use um it's what they use in star wars and is that what they use in starfinder i don't know what they call it in starfinder i don't know um i i don't know if we need to poke this bear anymore yeah Uh, for real for real (laughs) um, uh but uh did you have any final thoughts on uh on uh the alignment because we're just about at the end of the hour. So I did not have any final thoughts about alignment, but did you see uh, that good friend of the cast is listening to you talk about it, and he sent in an email while we were casting about uh, alignments. Th- 
this is what his Oof. email said. <laughs> Charles, like live, live tweeting the podcast, I guess, says, I think Paizo does a good job expanding on each of the alignment combinations in the Pathfinder Core rulebook, injecting nuance into a system which is generally pretty poorly implemented by players slash GMs. Lawful Evil is my favorite example, is described as methodical, intentional, and organized evil. Being lawful doesn't necessarily requires law in the legal sense. A lawful evil character may operate according to strict personal codes, private ethics, or creeds that may not align with an observer's concept of morality. The aforementioned notwithstanding, one of my pet peeves in the alignment system is that evil characters especially tend to be cartoonishly evil. It feels like there is much more allowable gray in the good alignments, for example, a lawful good paladin still doesn't really think twice, slaughtering their way to the big bad's keep. Um, so I, I, I see the point there. I don't think that's... I, th I think the gray point, at least, doesn't doesn't resonate with me as much, because, like, the counterpoint to that is that, like, it's not like the lawful evil guy is, like, constantly, like, murdering his citizens for sport in the streets. It's not like Bars Lightthrone's, like, walking through through Kintargo just, like, lopping the heads off of people randomly. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, like, there's, like, a little bit more inherent grayness. There. I, I think this is one of these things where, like, the, the fundamental... Um, the, the fundamental kind of disparity is that, uh, is that like the world tends towards good in like people's guts. And so it's like really separating that out is really hard. And I, I think that's kind of like where a lot of the, the problems with the system come in, um, is, is that like, so, so much of the world like works on the fact that like, People are generally good. Mm -hmm. um, I also think that one of the reasons that this is the case is because we as a culture bias good stories over evil ones. Um, interestingly enough, I think that TV recently has been all like there's a lot of focus on evil stories in the sense of like Cersei and Game of Thrones or like Breaking Bad is all about this, right? House of Cards is all about this. Um, but uh, but for the most part, we just have a lot more experience watching good people be good and be good people in stories, which we are kind of emulating um, in D and D than than bad people in stories. I, you know I, mean? I, I think part of it is that like protagonist always shades everything good, right? Yep. Like antiheroes, I think you could like the Punisher. I think you could make a good case that he's evil. In fact, he's very probably evil but like i feel like a lot of people wouldn't say that because he's like doing you know he's only killing bad guys right like it's it's uh i i it, i think we want to like like our our evil heroes we we, we call good it, yeah it's, it, it's it's a really it's 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 a really weird cultural dynamic um but I think that's maybe a little bit outside of the, the full scope of this podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's kind of the reason that we default so much uh, to this idea of, um, you know, the evil... Like, the evil alignments are what describe antagonists, villains, right? And the good alignments yeah. are, are what describe our heroes. Um, and I definitely think that, you know... I like the terms protagonist and antagonist because I think from a writing perspective they're like they're interesting and complex and I think that uh, that that's cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I really like the idea. Would you ever play like an evil campaign? Like, what would an evil campaign look like that you wanna that you wanna play in? Um. Well, for a long time, 
I had a character for an evil character or a concept for an evil character that was like literally literally Hitler, right? He's like a bard that uses spoken word. And that was like my entire thing, like, hey, 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 it's Hitler. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd be okay with it. I'm not convinced that it would, be, I feel like it would turn into like an anti-hero campaign, like very quickly. I feel like it's very hard to like keep it going. Um, interesting. I actually, cause I, w something that I would, um, so, so we we didn't really talk about this, but like there's the there's that idea that lawful evil isn't, or I'm sorry, lawful good is not lawful stupid. Do you know you know what I mean? Which is just kind of the idea that like um, there are sometimes characters that are so dogmatically lawful good that kind of everything is evil. Um, yeah. This, is kind of, this gets parodied in in all sorts of places and isn't super like common, but it can happen. Lawful and I think stupid. that yeah, yeah, and I think that you could get a certain amount of. Um, uh, I think you get a certain amount of mileage out of an evil campaign versus kind of lawful stupid, right? Or also there's, like, the lawful evil isn't lawful nice sort of aspect of it where, like, you know, deus vult crusaders, right? They might be lawful good, but they're, but they're assholes about it. Um, and you could probably get you could probably get across the finish line in, in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd I, I definitely be down to try it. It's interesting. Um yeah um so your your, your thing about i i think we're going to transition into the the back part of the show but uh yeah sure your uh your question your point about protagonist and antagonists um reminded me of something that i had read recently in in the seventh c core rulebook um uh which is uh kind of like john wick um the guy uh, john john wick pub presents publishes seventh c he's a dude he is not the one from the movies um, the movies are not based on him as far as I know. Um, it would seem like unlikely because I don't think he's, he's an assassin of any sort. But um, he defines antagonist as, like, the person who causes... I think he calls it, like, the person who, who makes the protagonist change or something like that. Um, and his big, example, his big example for this is that... Um, who would you say the antagonist in, in the Shawshank Redemption is? Well, so the warden... Right. So he claims that Andy is the antagonist, and that um, Red is the protagonist. protagonist yeah. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but being the uh, the the more uh, liberal arts minded of the pair of us, I was wondering what you what you thought of that. I have so many thoughts on this. I actually have like, I have really strong. This comes up in WoW RP all the time, uh, and also just like in writing in general. Here's how I define protagonist and antagonist. In most stories, like, most stories are about change, right? That where a protagonist has to change in order to get over, you know what I mean? A lot of the times in the front of a story, there is a flaw presented to that protagonist. That protagonist then needs to conquer that flaw in order to beat the protagonist. So, like, Act 1 introduces us to the world. Typically, it, it also introduces us to the flaw in the protagonist. Act 2 typically includes a period where the protagonist explicitly fails because of their flaw. Um, and then act three is they redouble their efforts. They get over themselves. They improve themselves like, like in a true sense, right? Where they say, I am flawed and I need to correct on this flaw. And then that flaw is what, and then correcting on the flaw is what allows them to defeat an antagonist, right? Antagonists typically are characters in stories that also do that, that are a foil to that arc, right? So what an antagonist is, is it's someone who has a flaw, right? 
but they are unable to be self-aware about their flaw. They are unable to recognize the flaw in themselves, right? And in a lot of ways, and it is their inability to recognize that flaw that is their ultimate downfall, right? Because in most cases, they reinvest in their flawed nature or, you know, like kind of like uh, uh, viewpoint, right? And this is kind of where the, this is kind of where like the trope of like, We're not you know, so someone... Well, no, no, no. It's it's where yeah. where someone is fa- like the the bad guy is getting beaten in the final act, and so he goes, "No, I need more power," yeah. and then he like goes crazy and blows himself up. You know what I okay. mean? Because he's yeah. like he's recommitting to this idea that all I need is more power. It is there is nothing wrong with me or my approach, right? I just need more of that approach in order to succeed. Um, my favorite example of uh, of an antagonist like this is like General Zod from Man of Steel, obviously. Um, because Zod is fundamentally genocidal and fascistic, right? He views Kryptonians as superior to humans, right? Um, but he is unable to see how his fascist genocidal, you know, like mindset is the thing that is literally going to kill all of the all of the Kryptonians. There's a part where Jor-El in the movie says, "We can live in peace. The Kryptonians can just assimilate into human society." And Zod says has this thing where he's like, "What? And like live forever in pain because that's like a part of the mythos or whatever." Um, or like live for years under like pain and and torment. Like he's just unable to see any kind of compromise. And so he keeps reinvesting in this idea that he's going to destroy all of the humans, right? Remake Krypton up until the point where he forces super man and the human's hands to defeat him create the black hole that sucks all of the kryptons out and he's the last one there and then he literally does death by superman right genociding the entirety of the kryptonians because he was so unable to see that there was a compromise staring him in the in the in in the face right and how flawed his own viewpoint on things is uh, so that's kind of my oh that's like my overall philosophy when it comes to like protagonists and uh, and antagonists and see it's weird because there's also a difference between POV characters and protagonists the the archetypal example for this is like the Great Gatsby Nick is the point of view character right um, but the protagonist is Gatsby obviously because Gatsby's the one that drives the plot and it's his you know right uh, it's his arc that is the most uh, that, that is the most, like, focused on. Uh, this is also, by the way, what frustrated me so much about Manchester by the Sea, because I felt like Manchester by the Sea wanted Casey Affleck to be a protagonist, but maybe it was a, you know, maybe it was a story about an antagonist who couldn't, who couldn't change. I don't know. That, that movie just frustrated me for a lot of reasons, I guess. Yeah, that, that's fair. Um, so, so to kind of, like, bring it back to, um, to bring it back to Shawshank Redemption, how, how would you characterize the characters? In your in your framework, I think. See, I would say that the warden is the antagonist because the warden cannot change. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, there are ways in which, like, the warden kind of doubles down on his own oppressive nature, um, and ultimately, that's the thing that drives Andy to defeat him. Um, I would actually think. I mean, Red is the one that does the voiceover, so I do think that Red is kind of the um, Red is kind of the uh, the the POV character, but Andy is definitely the protagonist. He's the one that drives, you know, uh, I, I, you know that what? has the kind of the most agency and drives the plot. Well, let's, 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 let's think through this, right? Like in terms of your, 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 your thought about the protagonist is the one who has to, who has to like face an obstacle and change. Andy doesn't really change a lot. Red does. Red can't get out on parole until he like changes 
because of Andy, right? Like, in, ooh, that's a really good point. You're in, right. In, in your model, it feels like Andy's more of like a force of nature, right? Or, or I don't know how you would describe him. Uh, so I do think. Well, I mean, I do think that Andy changes though, because I think that he has to he, like he has to adjust to the prison life, and it's when okay. he kind of comes to terms with that. Uh, that he, but I think I, uh, you know what? I think I, this is mostly an argument for both Red and um, Andy are uh, like are kind of dual protagonists. Okay. Like this is you know ensemble movies exist right. The Lord of the Rings yeah. has a whole bunch of protagonists, all of which go through their own arcs, and I think that that's probably where Shawshank falls down. Um, yeah. But like sense. the the, the um, but it, it's definitely an interesting thing. It's also one of those things where like a lot of the times uh, like like better writing gives more arcs to more characters, where even supporting characters kind of get arcs, and then that kind of really muddies the water about things, right? Like like for instance, is um, you know, is the arc that Pippin and Mary undergo over the course of the Lord of the Rings does that make them protagonists? Right, the because the story really isn't super centered around them. Yeah, right? but they definitely do go through, um, like go through the the chain. This is kind of the, the counter argument to kind of like my model. My model says that they are protagonists, and I you know like personally think that like they are in their own sub stories and subplots or whatever. Um, but some people want protagonists to be a little bit more kind of front and center than that, and I think that that's kind of a fair, you know, uh, that's a, that's a fair perspective. Uh, how would you characterize, um, like, 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 you know, like most brain dead simple plot? It's like, you know, let's, let's say like a cartoon. It's like a good guy and a bad guy, and there's no real like character arc. It's just that like the, uh, like, uh, like, like Scooby Doo maybe, right? Like Fred's, fr like the 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 crew is the protagonist. Like you know, maybe Shaggy and Scooby get over their fear, but they never really do. But like you know, Fred's like always like the right man and just kind of like solves the mystery out from under the bad guy and like unmasks him and it's not really playing with these kinds of ideas that you're talking about like you just like use different different terminology or like call that a different type of story uh yeah i i would definitely say that um aspects of this are a different kind of story uh this is kind of like a dan Harmon thing that he that he talks about where like in most television, like television reinforces the status quo by its nature. It's kind of like one of his, his foundational philosophies, right? So at the beginning of an episode of The Simpsons, right, all of the characters are the same. And even if a change happens over the course of that episode, that change will always self-correct by the end of it, right? Right. Um, and so, you know, Homer gets fired from his job and becomes a whatever, you know, he's had like a million different jobs over the course of The Simpsons, obviously. Um, but by the end of the episode, he get he leaves that whatever that job was and goes back to work at the nuclear like the nuclear power plant. Um, I actually would argue that this is p more this is more an example of poor storytelling than it is an example of uh like, uh, like I think Homer is still a protagonist. I think he's just a protagonist where the story is bad because it cops out at the end of his change. Do, right. do you know what I mean? Um, and a lot of the times, the change is paid some sort of lip service in these kinds of shows, right? Like, this is like the Cosby show, where at the end of the episode, you know... Whoever whoever had the arc for that episode like gets gets the the lesson from from Bill Cosby at the end where he goes don't you know don't smoke it's bad for you or whatever you know like whatever the the kind of uh, the lesson is uh, at the end of the day and I think television has gotten a lot more sophisticated right and so we are now seeing shows like Rick and Morty or like Community right you know even though these shows are sitcoms and they are inherently 
cyclical. That cycle is not concentric, right? It is offset a little bit because cr the, 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 the characters do grow incrementally over seasons, if not necessarily over individual episodes. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I've... I don't know if I agree with you that's necessarily bad storytelling. I just think it's like, I think there's a place for shallow story, like shallow stories where the point is to laugh rather than like uh, witness a character arc. Uh, like, I don't think Always Sunny is a better show if their characters arc. I think, in fact. See, I would say, but yeah, but I would say Always Sunny is a, is a show about antagonists. <laughs> okay, you know what I, I mean? See, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, like because th this is also okay, part of the definition sense. that I, I I haven't actually talked a little bit about, but like you can have a story about an antagonist, like a protagonist does not need to be the center of a story, if that makes sense. Um, and sometimes watching an antagonist be an antagonist is really compelling, right? This is why yeah. Cersei in Game of Thrones is a compelling character, or a House of Cards. The House of Cards is built entirely on like this, you know, like this fundamental philosophy um, sort of thing. So um, I think, uh, you know, yeah. I also think that people fl like flip between, you know, antagonists and protagonists between seasons or whatever. Obviously, Walter White is an example of that, where he kind of starts. You know, like that that show is his descent into being an antagonist. And at the very end, the the very, very end of the show, like the final episode, he finally gets the self-awareness that he's always been looking for uh, and kind of ends as as like, a, you know, like he has like 30 minutes of a protagonist right at the end <laughs> because he admits to Skylar that like, yep, this was all because of my own like uh, spoilers. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. Whatever. Yeah. But do you, you like do you see what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I completely agree with you that they're, they're, that like, like I I think I still like you know even maybe you know, always sunny isn't the right example. But I think there's space for like kind of like very flat stories and kind of like a popcorn way. Yeah. Um, that could still be enjoyable. Um. Yeah. But, I mean, I maybe maybe sophistication is the answer. To yeah. That kind that, of. That makes more sense right. to me. But I but I think that the trend that we have seen over uh you know over the course of the last 30 years in our television and our sitcoms right the standout sitcoms from the 80s and the 90s are stuff like cheers right which is inherently cyclical or you know whatever else and in fact i would or like all all you know what is it all my children or something like that whatever the one with uh and so there are um but now I feel as though continuity and serialization is becoming more and more the norm because as a culture we're tip we're demanding a little bit more from television than we were back then. I feel that, yeah. Um Yeah. Um, I also think that this isn't necessarily the only way that you can frame a story. Uh, a, a good example of this might be Seinfeld, actually. I'm sure you'll, you'll love that. Where you don't need to frame a story about um, about change, like a story doesn't need to be framed around. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, I think you could make the argument that Seinfeld's a story about antagonists too, just like less bad antagonists than Always Sunny. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's fair. But I just mean in the sense of like, you can have a story where the like the primary payoff isn't watching the like the catharsis this is kind of like aristotle yeah um you know what i mean where he's like oh well when when the change happens that's when you the, that's when you get the good stuff but i think there is something to just be said for like sitting down and like watching 30 minutes of you know antics. observation uh, yeah of, of antics right um and in that sense you're t I, it, almost in that way you're telling less of a story and more just kind of like you know engaging in humor yeah it's just kind of like stand up but like 
visual. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, 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 I think I feel feel what you mean. Um, we spent a lot of time on this. Very interesting. I'm glad I asked the question. Um, uh, but to kind of bring it back to what we did this week, what did you think of our character creation session? Yeah, so we created characters in um, uh, 7C. 7C. Uh, I, I've definitely found character creation uh, pretty interesting. I like the 7C system a lot right from the get-go. Um, like these backgrounds or whatever, and like the nations are really compelling and everything. Uh, I just I think that there's a lot of really cool stuff to kind of mine into. Mostly because I like how how much 7C really ties itself into its own lore, right? This is a game you play because of it. Of its lore in a lot of ways. Yeah, you were playing in Thea or, you know, one of the other places around the world. You were not... Right. You're not, you're not playing 7C in Forgotten Realms. Yeah. Um, and so something like 3rd, you know, 3rd edition, which is kind of built on this, like, foundation that, like, it can be lore agnostic... Um, it's it was it's kind of like refreshing, and I think Pathfinder in a lot of ways is also kind of lore agnostic. Yeah. Um, but like it's refreshing in a lot of ways to be like, no, the fundamentals of your character are defined by the lore of this universe, right? You can't you can't pull those two things apart. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of my I guess that's kind of my perspective on uh, uh, on the seven C character creation. I will say that I found it interesting that you that you wanted to do the twenty questions. Um, that you wanted to focus so much on the 20 questions. I, so I didn't necessarily want to focus there. I just wanted to help people generate ideas. Um, and I thought that, that was a good way to do it. Um, See, I think this might be, this might be something of like a, like a perspective shift between the two of us, because I think I found a lot more of my character, Voryek, um, in uh, trying to express this idea through mechanics in the game than I did sort of by running through the 20 questions. Okay. And I don't think that either of those is right or wrong, but I do think that it's it's interesting and it's not something I've really thought about or like highlighted for myself before. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that, that's fair. I might have I might have tried to push it too much. It is like I, I'm definitely the type of guy who can very like very easily like latch onto a mechanic that I like and like build a character out around that and I don't think that that works as well. Um in 7C. But yeah, I, that's interesting, because that is, like, not my philosophy at all. Like, all the, like typically when I'm looking at mechanics, I'm trying to say, like, well, this is the idea in my head. How can I express that idea through the medium of these mechanics? No, yeah. Uh, but I definitely understand how you could look at a mechanic and be like, oh, my God, I want to make a guy focused around yeah. no, this I, thing. I, I do both of those. But I, I just, like, like I, I think in, in hindsight – like like letting people kind of page through the book and be like, oh, that's a that's a neat advantage there. Maybe I'll make something based on that. Would have been fine. It's kind of like when I do that when I when I do that for Pathfinder, right? Like you know, like I I've built out a couple different disarm based characters. Uh-huh. It's like I look at I find the disarm mechanic, I focus on it, and then I spend like thirty minutes to an hour looking up different disarm feats and other mechanics that I can tie into that and kind of like cohese into a uh, uh, into a character. Um, which is fundamentally different than I think that this, like, I don't think you, you can't do that for this game. You could like see an advantage and be like, I'd like to like see something like that. Um, the other part of this too, is that like, I also wanted it to kind of get done in a way. And I had read everything. And so there's a little bit of this kind of like, well, if you tell me what it is, I can quickly index you to where that is, uh, where, where that kind of idea right, right, is. Yeah. Um, uh, 
and we can get through this, right? Because, you know, we, we didn't quite finish. Um, uh, and then that's that's fine. It's just kind of like, you know, a, a time concern thing. Um, but I had a lot of fun with that. I'm super excited. I'm glad that we... I am glad that we did the 20 questions. Not so much for... Like, that, that was the objective was the character generation. But also get, like pulled out some nice hooks and some nice ideas um, from you. And for, like, like the, I don't think we would have gotten um, Maddie being Yorvik's apprentice. Definitely. Um, if we hadn't done the 20 questions, which I thought was good. Yeah. Um, or that, that kind of thing. Well, I actually, so interestingly, I actually think that there's a certain amount of, uh, uh, a, a certain amount of it that's like a bleed between both. Because I didn't even, I didn't think of Voryek as a crafter until I read the background that I was planning yeah, to yeah. take and realized, oh, holy shit, he's a crafter. And then we were talking about the 20 questions, right? And I was learning about that. Oh, see, I actually think, I think the 20 questions was definitely well worth it just from the perspective of, right, I, I knew what I was trying to express, but I didn't see what other people were trying to do. So it was a way to inform me as to the other characters in the yeah. party, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, no, that, that's absolutely true. That's that's good. Um, and I, 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 I was I was happy I was happy we did most of that. Um, I was happy that we kind of got there. Mm. Um, and I'm excited for this game. I really am. Um, and so hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to deliver on it. I've been listening to uh, an actual play. By, it's the group's called Essential NPCs. Their seventh series, seventh series is a seventh C playthrough. There's a handful of episodes out now. It's not done yet, but um, I uh, I, I recommend it to uh, anybody out there who who uh, who likes seventh C. Um, if um, the thing they, they use some, I would say that you guys should read it and watch it, um, or listen to it. Um, and maybe I'll post it. The only thing there is that I know that there's a couple of mechanics in there that are from source books that we don't have access to. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that's the only thing that's kind of uh, uh, in, in that pile. Um, but yeah, super pumped. Um, do you do anything this week in, uh, in gaming? I've been playing an insane amount of World of Warcraft um, because I did. Have you heard about these Mage Tower challenges? No, tell me about them. So the Mage Tower challenge is something that they introduced with patch 7.2. So I guess before you you um, uh, quit the game. And what it is, is it's there are seven different quests, right? Um, one for healers, one for tanks, and then five split between the rest of the DPS specs. Um, and what it is, is it's like, it's like a really hard encounter like a tough encounter that you need to do um in order to get a a special artifact appearance they have said that it is um uh that this artifact appearance will go away when battle for azeroth comes out right as a way to kind of like protect the achievement for players right so like if you are able to do your uh, mage tower challenge and you have the appearance for it that's kind of like a mark of pride almost right, right. like oh yeah i was good enough to do this thing and the chat and like and when i say challenging i mean like challenging like i failed the challenge maybe 20 or 30 times before i got it is it end. a solo thing it's a solo thing um and uh and so and i and so and i have uh i have done that thing that i do with wow from time to time where i assign myself with like a like a goal uh, whatever that goal may be, and that, and I am now doggedly pursuing it. And this goal is I want to do uh, is I look through all of the different uh, appearances that they have, and I highlighted the ones that I thought were neat, and I was like, I want to have this appearance later down the line. You know what I mean? Um, and so I have been working on those because I have ten one tens at this point. Like I have a lot of alts that are that are like kind of up there. 
Uh, and so I've been slowly working all of them up uh, to uh, to get to a state where they can do the artifact like they can do like the artifact challenge. Um, like all over Reddit and stuff like that, you'll see people who be like, I did it on all 36 classes or whatever the, the number is. I don't know the number offhand. Actually, I think it is 36. Um, uh, though that is like an exceedingly rare thing because you can't just like even it, – it's, it's hard to do it even with kind of like baseline gear. Um, I just did it on Baron uh, for the first time. I got the arms appearance. Um, <clears throat> and, um, uh, and I was having a really hard time for a while, but I was also doing small iterative things to kind of change. Uh, it's very legendary dependent is another thing. Like legendaries can really help you out um, if, you have, if you have the right ones. Um, and so, uh, uh, and then I, and I was also following a guide and I was trying to do what the guide was telling me to do, but eventually I just kind of said, fuck it. I'm going to play, I'm going to redo my, my, my talents and my rotation the way that I want to. Um, and once I did that, uh, it became a lot easier for, I, I actually one shot it as soon as I did that. Um, just because I knew it was kind of asking me to do a funky rotation that is technically more, um, it's like technically more effective for the challenge itself, but it's also something I'm not nearly as comfortable with as like my regular normal rotation. Um, so, so yeah. yeah. So I did the artifact challenge for uh, for arms. It was a lot of it was a lot of fun. It was really cool. And this is also funny because this is something that I typically like. I don't engage with WoW in this way in a lot. You know, like most of the time when I'm engaging with WoW, I'm just kind of like. You know, I'm watching Futurama and I'm just doing world quests and hitting buttons, you know, or whatever, right? Like it's kind of, uh, uh, it's almost like a like a like a time waster idle game in that in that sort of sense. Um, and there are people who really like decry that and they're like, oh, wow, should be you know, like wow, should be way harder and 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 everything. But I don't really agree with those people because that's not how I view how I view things. Um, but this is something that like. It demanded my attention in a way that I'm not used to WoW demanding my attention, especially in solo content. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I don't, I don't know. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah. That sounds uh, sounds interesting. Um, I will let you know that I, I just found out that uh, Blizzard has decided to give me seven free days of WoW time. Oof. Uh, so I, I might be back in there at some point. We'll see. Oh, baby. Um, after re retrieve it before the twenty second, so I've got a little bit of time. Um, but uh, uh, I've been playing a little bit of DBZ Fighters and uh, some Shadow of the Colossus. The remake came out, um, and I think I'm gonna wait to finish it before I give my uh, my full impressions. Um, I think we can we'll have an interesting conversation about that. Have you ever played Shadow of the Colossus? I have not. It's which is funny because like I'm a PS2 kid. Like the PS2 was my first real game but yeah i i never played shadow of the classes so all right well i'm sure it'll be something for us to talk about yeah next i know week. i i know that it's like this incredible you know like i don't know it's this game that everybody um uh that's like really foundational to like the way that the culture exists so i'm interested to hear your thoughts yeah no I, i'm i am interested to 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 talk about it um when we get to that, but I think we're just about out of time. Um, if you would like to tell us what you thought of any of these things that we talked about, you can email us at subdurbsplaygames at gmail.com or uh, podcast at subdurbsplaygames.com. You can uh, follow us at twitch.tv slash subdurbsplaygames. You can uh, follow us on SoundCloud, on SoundCloud and iTunes. Leave us comments. Tweet, tweet us. We love all of it. Um, we, like, we love reading it as evidence this episode. 
we did feedback right in the middle of the episode. It was great. Um, and uh, I think that's about all I have. Buddy, do you have anything else that you wanted to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. Uh, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.